And we aren't actually back. Sorry, I didn't mean to trick you guys. This is our second week of vacation. And once again, filling in for the team, Jeff and Thad are going to do another Q&A. Last week they did some talk on being players in a game. And I believe the topic this week is about dungeon mastering. And I really wanted to partake in it. I was actually really bummed listening to some of their content because they recorded it the other night and I've been severely under the weather and frankly, nobody really wanted to hear my voice. It's still just barely tolerable. So just want to let you know, we are coming back full steam next week, full crew, and the story will continue. So bear with us. But in the meantime, I think there's some good content here. So hope you can enjoy it and we will see you guys soon. Thanks. Hello. Another secret, secret meeting. Another secret meeting. No, uh, no bucket this time, though. No, yeah, no bucket. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, Jeff. I play Dagmar, and I've got Thad with me as well. He plays Brokos. And well, what are we calling this segment, Thad? It's it's all your show now, apparently. So apparently, we're it, gonna call it. Dungeons and Dagmars yeah. is what we're going to call it. I think uh, Don voted, and mm-hmm. his vote counts as two. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you were outvoted. So Dungeons and Dagmars. So uh, that's a that's a good segue. What we're talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, it absolutely yeah. is. So uh, again, with the vacations uh, rolling through, uh, we wanted to get you guys some content again this week. Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about being a good player, how you get into D&D, some basics from a player perspective, um, but what are there a lot less of than players for D&D? Dungeon Masters. So this week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, being a good Dungeon Master, and if you want to get into being a DM, uh, what uh, kind of resources and things are available to you. So, uh, yeah, Thad, I know you put together some, like an outline of of things for us to talk about. I thought of as a DM, um, both of the experience and of course Don does. And I know not sure about Rochelle's history of uh, dungeon mastering or game mastering, but I know Ted has in the past as well. So all of us are experienced on some level of working with a DM or being the DM um, so we thought we'd just kind of, Hey, let's talk about that because as, as Jeff said, there's a lot, um, more players and than, than DMS because of, um, you know, sometimes just people are afraid people mm-hmm. don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. People are overwhelmed and, uh, all of those emotions are shared by every dungeon master at some point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They, at some uh, point. The one thing I would say about being a dungeon master is if you definitely want to play some D&D, become a dungeon master because you'll find yeah. a group no right. problem. <laughs> right. It's like being a doctor. You'll always find, you know, being a good doctor, you'll always find work. Yeah, you'll always find work. You never, always looking never for be you. out of work. Yeah. So, um, 
and there's a lot of de there's definitely a lot of uh, nervousness uh, when it comes to being uh, a dungeon master as well. I know the first time that I did it, uh, I was quite nervous, uh, mm -hmm. and. So, you know, we put together, a, you know, just a couple of things that maybe if you're thinking about getting into it might help uh, settle you down. Um, kind of the first uh, point is where do you start? Where do you start being a dungeon master? And, I'll, and I'm going to ask you, Thad, where, when you're thinking of a campaign, mm -hmm. you know, what's your starting point uh, as a dungeon master? Um, finding out if anybody wants... Well, sometimes it's finding out that, like, hey, we want to play D&D. &D. Who wants DM? <laughs> <That is, laughs> yeah, yeah, nose goes, right? Yeah, that is the uh, – that's how most group gathering DMs start. <laughs> sometimes it's just trying a new challenge. A lot of times it'll be like, hey, I, I just – I like playing characters, but I want to try something where I'm – because it's – it's it's different, but it's the same, you know. It's the same ball game, but it's, it's just a different game. You're in a different situation, and uh, so it's just hey, I, I got an idea. I want to do it myself, or you know, over time it 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 becomes a little bit more. The more you play, the more comfortable you become, and it's just a new challenge, and it's a lot of fun. It's just, um, it's let's be honest, it's more work than being a player. It's just more work than being a player, but I think it's just as satisfying, if not more sometimes than being a player. I would agree with that. I, I think uh, the intense satisfaction of like having a really good session, it's you can have a good session as a player, mm -hmm. uh, but if you have a great session or a good session as a DM, it's it, the high is way higher for right. uh, for a DM. Um, so it sounds like where you're recommending to where to start is is kind of formulating, you know, one a group and two just an idea for a campaign. Yeah, wanting to do it. Say, I want a DM, yeah. and then because like who can do it? Anybody in your group can do it if they want to. It, it really is because it's kind of a trial thing. You know, someone who doesn't want to do it will know they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. it, um, so anybody can do it because trust me, I'm not the most organized person in the world. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who, who they're, you know, say, Oh, I'm not good at voices. Come on. We've already been down this, this road. There's one Matt Mercer in this world. And it's just say, one. Keep it this way. <laughs> it's um, just the one guy. <laughs> I don't think I'm in a group that has like one person who's like, Oh, their voices are amazing. Um, you know, I've heard Don's. Don's DM'd me enough where I probably have heard, you know, dozens and dozens of NPC voices that are you know, whittled down to maybe ten. <laughs> are they are they like guards in Skyrim or Elder Scrolls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't and matter he, what town you go to. They if all sound anything the like same. me, he's you know, it's it's trying to be like, oh, I've got two female vase voices: the angry female and the pleasant female, you know, like, so anybody can do it. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be a theater major. You don't have to be a, a story writer. You have to be open to some ideas and be willing to put a little work into it and be open-minded because there's so much information out there, but yeah, that's, that's uh, who can do it, where to start. It's just someone wanting an itch or someone wanting to do it. And you're like, well, I'd rather be a DM and play than not play at all. 
That's where a lot of it starts. I I would say I think of my sessions a little differently as far as where I start. I, I typically think of an idea for a particular battle or a particular event happening in the mm -hmm. campaign, some twist that I want to put in. And a lot of the campaign is designed around that particular moment. And this is not necessarily the greatest uh, way to do it. It's just a way that I've always thought of doing it. So if I if I have an idea for a campaign or or specific element of that campaign, some challenge that I want uh, the players to go through, whether it's a puzzle or a particular battle that, in my mind, I've yeah. I've really built up, then I'll start kind of tailoring the campaign to drive to that point. Um, one thing I would say happens probably more often than not, especially with a homebrew campaign, is a lot of times we don't get there because the direction goes in a completely different way. So my my point being is to where to start is just having an idea of the basic storyline and some important information I would impart would be don't be too upset if it never gets to that. Because yeah. there's a good possibility, depending on the type of DM that you want to be, uh, that you may not get there. And that's kind of an important uh, distinction as well, is there's several types of dungeon mastering uh, that you can do. Uh, the, if you're familiar with game uh, terminology at all, the term railroading uh, is probably something that you've heard uh, of. And you have to develop the dungeon mastering style that's going to work with you and your your uh, people, your party. Yep. Um, if you have a group, I, I do dungeon mastering for a group of really, really new players uh, in one of my campaigns. And uh, we I do have to kind of get them and move them along and move them kind of towards the wrong direction because their skill in playing D&D is still pretty new and uh, they're not going to have kind of the experience to really work through complicated puzzles mm -hmm. uh, and also how to navigate like a town in order to get information. And, so, and that's kind of the giving – there's a fine line, it seems like, between that – Some we'll, we'll talk about some just really quick to cover because you mentioned homebrew. Some just lingo that we use. Uh, mm -hmm. Explain to people out there if they're not familiar what homebrew is. Yeah, so homebrew is using your imagination to create content that's not defined completely by a rule set. So um, for you can homebrew a magic item. You can homebrew a campaign. Uh, if it is not official D&D, &D, like Wizards of the Coast module or material, it's technically a homebrew if it's mm -hmm. not in one of those books. And... Uh, it being homebrew does not make it bad. It just makes it custom for whatever you're trying to do with that. So that's that's what homebrew is. And you can homebrew anything you want. The whole campaign, different classes. If you have a cool magic item in your head and you want one of the players to have that magic item, you can homebrew that up and you know you can give it whatever stats that you want to give it, You know, understanding that there is a cause and effect to that. Uh, and that will be something we probably talk about a little bit later is balancing and mm -hmm. and how you balance those uh, magic sure. items and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, that's we'll what talk about. Is. So then we'll go to like modules. 
So I'll explain a little bit more modules. Uh, so homebrew is like, I, I like to think of it as homebrew. If you have your own story and you make it up and it's not from a module, that's very homebrew. That's like a very vague use term of homebrew. Whereas uh, modules is there's a lot of texts out there and books that you're basically taking an existing story and you're going to run that story. Now, I like to do that. Sometimes I've ran homebrew in both. There's challenges to both. I think that some a lot of times when people say, well, I don't really have a story, but I know I want to DM, do a, do a module. That would be my recommendation. You can find it on the DMs Guild is a good place on site. Uh, you know, D&D has, like, the Wizards of the Coast has so more modules that you can get um, that are pre-made. And that way, the nice thing about that is a lot of the battles and the NPCs and the monsters, they're, they're pre-made up for you. So you can have that control over a little bit more of, you know what's going to happen next. Now saying that, this will segue into, explain what sandbox means <laughs> as far as uh, two people, because it's just opposite of what railroading would be. Right. So sandbox is, if you're familiar with a, a lot of video games, uh, use this kind of thing, but you've created a world. And inside that world, you have it teeming with life. And there's not a real defined way or path for the people to go. So you have this giant sandbox that they can travel anywhere around through, talk to NPCs, do all this content. It's incredible because it gives a lot of realism to it. You can go and spend four game sessions just farming if you want to. The downside to that is if you're a new DM... It's one, and a lot of it's a lot to create. It's a yeah. lot to create that world if it's if it's not from some type of module. And two, your players can get into trouble potentially yeah. early and get completely into the wrong part of and the adventure. I always find when people are sandboxing, um, it's harder to like create, especially as a homebrew, is when you start to really let the reins loose. Is coming up with uh, battle like. Uh, challenge ratings of your mind, you know, of because you want to plan in advance. Um, you know, you like to say it's hard to take off the top of your head for some people to say, Oh, I'm going to put this monster because they just decided to go and go left, but and I gave them left and a right, but they decided to go turn around back because mm -hmm. if a player smells blood in the water, they will go find that blood, they will <laughs> not take left or right. They will not choose those paths. There's always that one person in the group. And if you guys play D&D, you know who you are. You know who you are if you're listening to this. <laughs> I know who you know who you are. Okay? It's okay to be that person. But just know the DMs know who that is. <laughs> and so you got to watch that. You got to feel like if I let this person go, they're just going to go hog wild because they want to talk to every NPC any available NPC is there is some some a blacksmith apprentice you, you better be able to keep a name bring him name up on the spot <laughs> and you better have a backstory for that apprentice blacksmith immediately because that person's <laughs> going to ask you every question in the book so kind of that's what sandbox is I always remind her even though it's a sandbox that world is wide open it's still a box there's still edges to it there has to be because right. there's yeah so Choosing some type of an adventure, like to to kind of start with for a new DM, I I'm with you as far as recommendation. I wouldn't start with a sandbox. I would start with a module. Um, it's defined. 
It has a lot of the information inside of that. And you still have the flexibility to change a lot of that information if it doesn't kind of go with the th overall theme of what you want to do or if you think a part of that story is going to be too complex or too easy for the players depending on their skill level. A module gives you the ability to make a lot of those changes and have a lot of the content defined. Uh, it also gives you the advantage of having a lot of the content done for yourself because as Thad mentioned earlier, uh, dungeon mastering is uh, a lot of work. It's a lot more work than being a player. Like a player gets to show up, have all the fun, and then leave. The dungeon yep. mastering is generally, or the dungeon master is generally putting in the hours to draw up the maps, especially if it's homebrew, to think of those NPC names, those backstories, uh, to define those challenge ratings for those different encounters and things like that. So if you are starting out, uh, I highly recommend checking out uh, the the modules that uh, the Wizards of the Coast puts out in their D&D books, uh, some specific ones. Uh, we're not sponsored or anything, but, you know, I just want to put that out I mean, there. I mean, I mean, yeah, if they're listening, <laughs> I'm right here for you. Um, we're, we wouldn't say no. All right. Candlekeep uh, Mysteries is an yep. excellent one. Uh, it's a it's a bunch of small adventures. I highly recommend doing like one or uh, one shot or two shot to start with, just so you can get an idea. Uh, but Candlekeep Mysteries is excellent, and uh, Waterdeep, uh, the Waterdeep Dragon ooh, Heist. Dragon Heist. There's that's yeah, it's in Waterdeep, but that's a little bit a lot of role playing. Yeah, that's a lot of role playing. But, but if you like that, like the small adventures. There's the Tales of the Portal. Oh, Tales of the Yawning Portal. Portal. That's the one yep. I was thinking of. Yep. Um, uh, that's a fun one. I mean, if you get the starter kit, yeah, the starter is, kit's going to come with an adventure as well, and which is a good is a good starter adventure for a DM. Yep, because it's built for a first DM. I like one shots if you want to learn how to DM. Yep. because I, I like in DMing is throwing a party at your place. You got to buy all the supplies and get everything up. You got to clean up. You got ready for the party. You got to make sure everything's ready for it. People come, the players, they show up, they're the party goers. They show up, have fun. And guess what? You got to clean up up afterwards. That's the DM. It's like throwing a party. It is. <laughs> it's like throwing a party every week or every right. other week. Um, I don't want, yeah. we don't want to turn you away from this. It's no. just some people no, thrive on that. Um, so, yeah, with an adventure, I, I like to run modules. And also, modules help me when I'm not ready for a homebrew. Because I know the homeroom takes a little more work, or if I don't have a story offhand, they're well written. But uh, also, um, it, I think modules do a better job of handling uh, different levels of playing uh, of players, different because skill levels. You mean? Yeah, I mean once, yeah, once in a while you'll get a group you play with. If you guys, if if you have a group that you play with a long time, um, and it'd be great. You know, you're always looking for that you get to know each other pretty well and you, you kind of grow up at the same level. But nowadays, so many people are looking for a D and D, um, you know, party or playing with D and D for the first time or just getting in it. And you know what? I mean, there there's, it's a struggle with a, a more experienced player with a, oh, the newbie, but you know what? I mean, we should all experienced players and DMs should be excited that there's someone who wants to learn how to play D and D. Um, because you know, people say you can't make any mistakes, or there's no thing, there's, there's no, there's no way to 
there's a winning at D and D, and that's true. But you, it's again going back to as a DM, my number one rules are make sure everybody's having fun, or trying to make sure everybody's having fun, and everybody let everybody be the hero. That's so I'm going to kind of go off a little bit of the beaten path. I'm going to sandbox this because from the list here of choosing to the adventure. Okay. So okay, we're, ready? we're, we're off on a tangent. The, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here with you. What do we need? Uh, okay. Let's make it up as we My go along. My question is, how do you ref? So you've got your group together. Mm-hmm. You've got your first adventure. You sit down on the table. How do you referee your group? Like, do you let the players referee some of it? Or do you let the, or you as a DM feel like you have to be the referee? So I, I've I've DM'd for both types of parties, uh, and what how I choose to do my refereeing, and I and I do it uh, to a certain extent with the newer group, uh, just as they're kind of learning how to play D and D, is I do it with uh, something called a session zero. So a session zero for uh, anybody who's not initiated with that terminology is basically a the first session of any campaign where the DM is going to give you information on what kind of classes you can choose, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of adventure this will be. Uh, A lot of times they'll give you clues as to, is this going to be a very intense uh, dialogue adventure? Is this going to be something where you're rolling a lot of dice? What setting is it going to be in? Uh, But one of the things I like to do is I really like to talk uh, about what, my uh, my list of of do's and don'ts, the things that I'm going to your do. Your expectations. My expectations, and yeah. um, the reason I have that isn't to be a power hungry individual. It's to ensure one very simple truth that I believe all D and D should be based on, which is everybody should have fun. Right. N- nobody should feel left out playing D and D unless they choose to be. Unless somebody is you know quiet by nature and they don't want to be. You know, maybe they're in it just to to roll dice, and they don't really want to do a lot of the uh, the extroverted stuff. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna lay down rules on types of behavior that I'm gonna accept and types of behavior I'm not gonna accept. Yeah. And if anything, uh, if anything crosses those lines, they you know they can expect to hear it from me. Um, but I do the vast majority of my own refing, um, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and I, because I never want it to get to the point where animosity is created right. inside the party, right. um, because it shouldn't, you know, you're a group of people working together towards a common goal. There shouldn't be an animosity there. Um, and like I said last time, and if, if somebody's having too much fun, then probably someone right. else is not having enough. So what do you do? And, do you, do you let them duke it out? Uh, I, I like to, uh, how do I say this? I mean, if you guys are listening, who you're in my group, uh, I mean, I'll I'll let you see behind the curtain. Um, I, I I don't mind them refereeing it if there's a leader in the group, and you'll know that person. If there's a leader in the group, they'll do their own refereeing. I, I love because you would think in like any kind of other team based thing, there's always a leader, right? Because if everybody's a follower, it gets more struggling thing is is if there's a leader in the group that kind of helps them move along and make those choices and say because you could have the group argue and you've all been there you could be talking about how to do something how to go down a hallway and it takes 10 minutes Mm -hmm. Uh, oh that gets a little frustrating 
because what you'll find out is you would like to tell them, guys, there's nothing down the hallway. You see nothing significant, you know, and it's trying to get across that a leader will just say, hey, guys, let's get through this. So I'll let them kind of referee as far as with each other what to do. As far as if they don't, then I'm kind of giving them a little bit more pushing them here and there, kind of not railroading it, but as far as the rules go, refereeing, um, yeah, you don't want to create, I agree with the animosity. You you want this group to have fun. And I would rather be the bad guy than any other of the group be the bad guy. So it's a fine line, but it all really depends on the party. I would love them to be the refereeing, but also refereeing with rules. Um, I guess I'll ask you this again. Is like, you know, boy, I, I'm kind of a, I can be a raw guy. You know, I can be where rules as written and because although you're a DM and you make your own rules, it's your own world, mm-hmm. but, and you're allowed to change the rules. I think if something happens and you can kind of adjust them, but you need to be consistent with the rules, right? Every person needs the same rules, set of rules. Otherwise, if I treat one person differently than the other, I think that's where some animosity can come from. If I'm, and I think everybody gets, I know I get into sometimes that there is, if I'm treating a player more just than other players, because the other person's giving me guff and kind of getting on my nerves because I'm a human being, <laughs> you know, or I had an off day at work or something and I get a little testy and there might be some subconscious resentment or animosity towards that player. It's like, I, I want, that's why the rules are there for me as well as the players. So I stick to those rules. You stick to those rules. If a player really wants to test me, I lay down the, I am God, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I am your God, but you know, I don't get a whole lot of that. It's just, it's hard to play that game of, well, 5e and Wizards of the Coast gave us, especially in D&D, not just Path. We're talking about D&D specifically, 5e. Uh, you know, Pathfinder is a little bit different, but, uh, you know, it's an open world and your DM gets to make the rules, but have respect for that because that's how DM stop DMing is when it's this 2K, they'll give up because there's just being questioned all the time or they just get into this, like, no one wants to do what he, that he or she the dm wants to do there's a, a certain amount of respect i get from my groups I, I feel like um but i would say that the refereeing portion of it a more raw oriented written rules as written based guy where um you know what you, that's great you you always say it battlefield is not a physics class you know or, or i don't know how you say it but it's you know it's oh, not D is not a physics engine right Right. Yeah. And so when someone asked me, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Even the fact that you're flying on the back of a dragon. Right. You're <laughs> fighting a dragon as a yeah. barbarian riding a flying carpet. And this with is magic. You don't have sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, I agree with you. The DM's kind of rule uh, is is final. And I, I typically, you know, for me, I, I don't again, I, I DM for a lot of young like uh, new to D&D players. So I don't okay. get a lot of rules lawyering mm-hmm. how you would take care of those types of things um will vary very much uh between groups uh and the different personality i would say that's probably of all the people i've talked to about dming that's the thing that makes them most nervous is how do i handle 
you know, a, a bunch of players that I'm not maybe particularly familiar with. Right. And there's certainly DMs out there who do an extraordinary job of that. And there's DMs out there who do, quite honestly, a very terrible job of that. Yeah. Um, just just as there is with anything. Um, it was, hey, I'm a rules lawyer, by the way, as a player. If you guys listened to the last episode... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, I think I mentioned that in the yeah, in the yeah. cafe. Well, I was like, "What side are you every, on?" Every <laughs> all the other players look at you like we're on the same team here, bozo. Like, yep. oops. But it's like you just I can't turn like, it off. I can't turn it off. I, can't. <laughs> I apologize, Don. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry, Don. Um, and Jeff, Jeff, the other DM. I'm so sorry sometimes, but just bear with me. Um, you know, five E is a little bit newer to Don. I think we talked about this last time, so I think yeah. he does a great job of understanding. And uh, you know, I hope there's that openness that you can talk to your players and say, "Listen, you know, quick question, question me about this," or because I said so, just be a parent about it. But um, that's yeah. what you feel like. I'm a, a little. I'm a rules sometimes. lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you I'm feel a like a lawyer, parent. And I apologize to those because I'm I'm obviously a hypocrite when it comes to when I'm running DM, but you know, just bless me father for he knows not what he does. <laughs> so, you know, you've got somebody, if we, if we've got somebody, you know, this hypothetical person we're talking about, they're interested in playing D and D or, or to DMing. They know, Hey, I want to, I, you know, I'm new to it. I want to run a module They're They've got their group together. They've chose their adventure. Um, and, you know, and they're working with their particular players. What would you say is the number one don't do as a DM? Number one don't do as a DM. Yep. Hmm. Become a DM. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. Um, set expectations for the group. Don't set expectations? Or, or don't set expectations to the group so you know what i mean is don't expect have expectations for the group oh expectations i you thought know, you said uh, i'm sorry i, I know it came across because oh, okay the do's and don'ts i'll just do it you know don't have a setup expectation of them following this guideline and it going perfectly don't don't have that like you said you expect what you expect wise but that's much more of a how your game's going to run you're just letting them uh, hey this is how what to expect in, in the room, your expectations, but your expectations of them to choices that they make, don't have them say, well, be mad at them because they didn't, ha you know, your NPC, your NPC came to him and, you know, hey, you shouldn't go into that haunted house. And because you don't want them to go to the haunted house. Well, guess what? You told them there was a haunted house. So who's, mm -hmm. who is that on? Um, just don't be upset uh, with, if someone goes outside the expectations, don't just keep an open mind to the, the flow of the game. Otherwise you are going to be so surprised as a first time DM of mm -hmm. how this, this didn't, this didn't happen. Like I thought it would in my head. I think every first time DM does all this preparedness. And like you said, they choose their adventure. They got the players and they play and it's like, yeah, no, they, I threw a fat curveball, you know, or they found a hole in my backstory, the whole story in my story. I can't be consistent. I forgot. Oh, yeah, no, that NPC's dead. And they called me out on it. Now what do I do? Just uh, 
try to not have too many expectations for what you envision your players and like this, close your eyes and you're going to have this great D and D session of the best players in the world. And you know, you're just going to have all these sound effects and it's um, there's a lot of more like how the sausage is made kind of moments <laughs> as a DM. But uh, yeah, I would say that. What about you? Um, I would say, don't be afraid to kill your players. <laughs> Amen. Yep. Uh, so I, I've played a lot of D and D, uh, and uh, when your DM is purposely pulling punches because you can tell that he's worried he's going to wipe out the the whole party, uh, or he's going to kill a particular individual. Uh, I when you, when that happens in those punches are pulled it's it really takes away from some of the danger of D&D which mm-hmm. is i've got this character i'm heavily invested in that i've been playing for a while and you know people die on adventures and yeah. if you don't feel that inherent like hey we could die if we do this it's going to give you it's going to give your yeah. players this feeling of invincibility and when you know, the tables do turn and they do die because they did something foolish that maybe they've gotten away with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be very, very frustrating for them. So I would say player death is probably one of the hardest elements of being a DM because there's a lot of emotion attached to it in a lot of cases. But um, don't, don't, don't pull punches. I mean, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to shape that world in a way that's right. maybe helping you to not have to do something. Right. But uh, if, if somebody does something foolish, uh, they, there's consequences in this, in that's that right. make believe world too. And if there are no consequences, you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of players who do silly, crazy things. And it's a lot more difficult to control the flow of adventure yeah. because you get people, you know, doing crazy stuff. I think if you, if everybody in the group, especially the DM, if you respect the moment, like the, the death when the character dies, not revel in it. Like, ah, I killed you because we should never revel in killing a character. Oh man. I've done it though. Yeah. (laughs) I think everybody's done it. You've done it, but you're respecting the moment of this pair. You know, Hey, I'm level 15. I've put so much time into this Mm -hmm. character respecting it giving this character a beautiful send-off you know maybe verbally or visually explain mm-hmm. to your this is what's happening you know a funeral pyre or something just very i think that moment can be grasped but also like you said i if a cut if a if a player as a player when i'm i'm playing i'm not afraid to my character to die because if you're not afraid for your character to die guess what it's gonna be more fun because it's just a game. But number two is like, that means if you went down a hero, if you didn't, if you just fell down a cavern because you weren't watching your step and you fell 300 feet to your death, well, it's not quite heroic, but normally you're going to, you're going to die heroic death. And I think you should be willing to just as much as a player is willing to die. You should be willing to kill a character because, um, you know, as DMs, your really job is to kind of lead this group through this, this adventure and show them the way. You're almost like a you're 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 create your game master, right? Well, you're you're, you're the storyteller for that right. adventure. So you're not out you're not out against the 
interested group, but you're going to give them challenges. And if, and if they die in that challenge, I, I, I always t- tell my group, I'm never going to put you in a situation that I don't think you could overcome, but <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're not going to die. Cause we all make mistakes. We roll ones, we roll twos, you know, we, we make bad rolls, we make good rolls. I'm going to touch on really quick. I'll ask you since it's on my mind, what, what's your take on fudging as a DM? Oh yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's more of that. How's the sausage made? conversation. Yeah, that's a hot, that's a hot topic. I, I, um, I, I will absolutely fudge a number if yep. uh, it is relevant for the story. And if it is, if I need a certain outcome uh, to come to fruition, just from a story aspect of it, uh, I'll, I'll fudge a number. If I needed to add a little bit more danger to an encounter, um, I'll, I'll fudge a number if I have to. I don't do it a lot, though. Um, I usually let the chips may uh, fall where they may. Uh, but if I want to add a little bit of drama to a particularly mundane set of combat, then, you know, somebody might critically hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so as or, opposed or, to, or miss like you said, pull punches, like, you know, if hey, I just rolled an 18 and I know this person, this, this is, could, this could do some damage or something like this. I might, if my character, if, Hey, the dragon has three attacks, Oh, he makes two attacks, you know, I mean, to try to, yep. <laughs> but absolutely yeah. uh, and i think another important element of that is w- in the preparation of it we make we make mistakes uh, you know i i've made encounters that are far too difficult um mm-hmm. you know it, kind of unknowingly far too difficult for a particular set of adventurers and so i have to do some of those things like using maybe some non-lethal abilities that they have you know such as frightening or uh, maybe even pull some attacks, like you said, where they can attack three times and they choose to attack once or twice. Um, I'll typically do that before I'll fudge a number. Uh, mm-hmm. But if it gets to a point where I don't feel like they can overcome it and I feel like it was my fault and not their fault that they couldn't overcome it, then I might do some alterations. Sure. Uh, yeah, because nobody wants... Like the DM, the party, nobody wants a TPK. Nobody. Um, You mentioned something earlier I was going to touch on as well. Uh, The DM's role is really to be a storyteller, to be the person, the conduit of which this epic story, you know, interactive story comes through. And I I find a lot of times, um, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, that the DM is almost set in opposition of the players because he's he or she is the one that uh, is making the rules uh, and and really enforcing those rules uh, along with it. Um, that it's a tough line because you do have to enforce those rules, but trying to make it to where the player does not feel so adversarial between the two of yeah. us, I think, is really important because that is generally a relationship uh, that can get really contentious. If you have a player who's like, hey, you're doing this to me. Why do you always attack me? Very personal, yeah. That's, you've got to kind of, that would be one thing that as as a DM, I probably dislike the most is when I have someone who's telling me that I'm picking on them when it makes sense from a combat 
standpoint. Like right. if you've got a fighter and he's the only one within 10 feet, like they're not going to run past the fighter to go attack somebody else. They're going to, you know, in, in, for a cobalt or something like that, they're going to pack up. That's what makes mm-hmm. sense. So uh, that would be one of those things that I would probably want to talk to that player aside and say, hey, this is why this happened. Um, because the longer that that continues on, mm-hmm. uh, the more difficult that relationship will get. Yeah. And if it's somebody you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of, you know, caveats to that. You know, the, if right. it's somebody you know and they're just giving you a hard time, obviously, you don't have to have that kind of conversation. So if Scott's listening, I mean, just take it easy. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I, yeah, fine. Uh, having a good friend that you're you're the DM of is always much easier, I think, because especially if you have a good relationship with them and kind of teasing them. I know if Andy's listening uh if sometimes we give him a hard time his paladin that he plays um you know he, he paladins are gonna paladin and paladins should never apologize for trying to defeat evil you know if, well, if i don't know it depends on the paladin what if it's well, like an oath in this case yeah he no he you know he's a he's an oh he's a good oath vengeance all you know oath yeah. of vengeance and so you know he's lawful good but um you know someone said something and I want, this kind of goes into my kind of uh, next question for you is uh, they said that when someone says, well, that's what my character would do, that this was from a DM uh, on a video I saw. When it, someone says it's what my character would do, that I don't know if that's a, always a good excuse because you have the control, complete control of your personality of that character. Okay. So when you're saying that's what my character would do, you're saying – that's what I would do. You know, you're, you're using it as an excuse to do something that hurtful to another person or to disruptive to it. How do you deal with the person who wants to take all the attention or the person who doesn't want anybody else? They, they want to be the hero all the time, or they always want not really test you, but they're just not, we talked about it last week. They're just that person that, kind of wants to be the crapster of it all and you can tell it's affecting how the other players play along or don't yeah and that's again that would be something i would cover that activity is best covered in advance so that would be something i would bring up in my session zero uh i in my campaigns generally try to switch conversation from individual okay what would you like to do Uh, what would you like to do what would you like to do to try to spread that time out uh amongst everybody but yeah you're gonna have that you're gonna have somebody who's really just trying to get the go to the other players or or to Mm -hmm. get that and it's something you have to talk to them about if the 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 worst possible fix for something like that is just not saying anything and hoping it goes away because it won't it's you know it's the same uh, kind of behavior where if you're acting out at school or if you're acting out at work, if nobody ever says anything about it, it's <laughs> acceptable. So yeah. uh, the DM's really kind of responsible. I've always felt that the DM is responsible for everybody having a good time. Yeah, much certainly. like the party or the the party planner or the yep. person throwing the party. So um, you know, in a lot of cases, if you've got a party of people who maybe don't know each other and you've got four or six individuals, maybe two of them know each other and the rest don't. 
you're kind of the person who's responsible for making sure that everybody is being heard. And it may not be comfortable for a lot of people to speak up right away, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, so you've got to, you really have to divide your time out and make sure that everybody, like you said, gets to gets to be a hero at some point. I like to usually use um, talents. Sometimes I'll punish them. Sometimes oh, yeah. I no, will no, give them, them a cursed item. Yeah, I'll put them in their place. <laughs> Depends like, on what they've done. An NPC, you know, like... 11th level NPC and your first level little, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like peon that's just getting into the game. Oh, but I'm a rogue, I want to steal something. Oh, no, I caught your stealing. Yeah, we're gonna cut your hand off. You know, not really I've actually it, cut a player's hand off. I know, so have I. So have I. <laughs> it might have been the same player, <laughs> Richard. If you're if you're listening, no, oh, no, no, player. no, you know, the He's player not. that I'm talking about. <laughs> I will say the rest of the party just watched him. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah, I've punished players before. I've I've killed players as punishment for right. doing uh, outlandish, foolish things. And, yep. you know, yep. it, it happens in real life. It would it it usually corrects the problem. So yep. you've just got to. Yeah, I want to point out, Richard, if you're listening, I you were you're a great player. I was not punishing you for, for <laughs> it was just the way the game was played. And you were the one on the on the on the uh, table. You get so, the short straw. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah. Well, that is the short arm. So, uh, what are your, what is your like number one do besides like the obvious, we talked about, make sure everybody's having fun. What's maybe a do that not everybody follows that you've maybe learned throughout time. Um, uh, plan ahead is probably my big do, uh, because yes, the players, the adventure can go any which way. And there's a certain amount of impromptu, you know, development of a character, NPC, things like that, that the session will go into. But I've by far had the best success when I plan ahead. And if I'm doing a module, reading that part of the module ahead of time, um, not relying on just making it up as you go. Some people can do that. Some people are much more excellent d DMs than I will ever be. Uh, but for me, planning ahead is the big D, you know, and preparing, like, you know, to kind of go along with that, you know, reading yeah. those modules, understanding what happens if this happens. Yep. Um, that, that would be my, my big do. Yep. What about you? I would say um, I got, two big do's number one the first one ex like i, I kind of explained earlier is expect uh your party not to do what they that you want them to do so you know just be prepared like you said but be prepared not just in a way of like this is a module but be prepared for something else to happen uh and so in that case i kind of like be prepared in a way of having a name generator available somewhere oh yeah you yeah know? that's a, good a list idea. of names because there's nothing more embarrassing. Oh, there's a dwarf. Uh, he's a leather worker. Oh, let's go talk to him. My name is Sir. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, yeah. if you want to create NPCs, uh, I, I have where I can create NPCs off the top of my head and just make up a character, you know, just like be a silly character or be a serious character, give them information. Or guess what? The more frustrating thing as a DM is, you know, they want to find information about this. Well, you shouldn't go to the the seamster or the tailor to find out, 
you know, who lives up in the scary castle there because he doesn't know anything. And so you can spend, I want you to spend half hour talking to this guy and get no information because that's just what it happens. So having prepared for things like them to ask you questions that might not necessarily be in the book, because not all the books are going to have difference because you could stick, want to stick to that module, but that module is going to change, but depending on your party. Right. Mm -hmm. So a, a, a module to me is an outline. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be, they say, well, you know, the, a lot of times modules explain the NPCs that they're dealing with, but they might ask questions that are not, the answers are not in the book. Yep. So, you know, be prepared for the different answers they might have. And also, you know, be honest, do, do say, I don't know. Or if someone said, well, you know, you said that person was dead, you know, do say, well, you know, oops, he's, he, he came back to life. I gave him revivify, you know, or just don't be afraid to admit I know that you a made a mistake. Point. Yeah. That you yeah. made a mistake. And if it's not a big deal, kind of move on from that because, you know, players make mistakes, but DM make mistakes. DMs are just better at hiding that because they're behind. generally speaking. Generally, yeah. Right. But yeah, be, be prepared. Having a name generator is my one small little thing that you have and have, um, this will go into we're kind of going to maybe take a step back. We're going to go to uh, have well, I've got monsters. one more. Okay. I've got one more do uh, okay. that would I always have an extra fight. Uh, there you go. Like an extra uh, encounter yep. queued up that I can throw in at any time um, for a couple of reasons. One is if they do something that is totally out of left field and I have nothing prepared for it. Yep. I can throw an encounter at them, and that, yep. it, you know, D&D &D is the game where you can spend three days walking, and it takes five minutes, and you can do a five-minute encounter and have it take three hours. So yep. I can throw in that encounter, and it gives me time to kind of prep where I want it to go ahead of time. So having a correct, like, correctly leveled encounter for them, something that's challenging, not something that they're just going to run over uh is kind of in my back pocket that's kind of my my tip i would say you just gave me a seamless perfect transition oh did i uh, Look yes at that. perfect that's why it's your show that's, that's it. why it's, your name's in the show that's why yeah yeah uh, um sources we're going to talk about like where do i get just give them some general information of where you get your sources from where you know hey how do i get that how do i build that list where can i find if I have no idea, Jeff. I'm just starting out. Where mm -hmm. do I get an idea how to c come up with some kind of a battle? Sure. There are uh, there are a lot of good resources for that. One resource that I think is just absolutely a have to have is you need to go down to your local game shop and you need to spend the money and get a Dungeons Masters guide. Yep. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how useful the Dungeons Master's Guide is. It helps you build encounters. It helps you build treasure. It helps you dole out magic items, how to build a convincing NBC, how to build a world. Like, it is the... I mean, it's the book. If if you want to be a Dungeon Master, you have to have the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, or access to it. Again, I... I'm a big proponent of going down to your local game shop, yeah, for sure. uh, talking to the folks who work there and, you know, picking their brain about it, spending a little bit more money, but at least you've helped out a local business that way. If you uh, have, yeah, if you have the player's handbook and a Dungeon Master's Guide, 
I mean, really, all the only I mean, other one you need is Monster the Monster's Manual. Manual. And then you can yeah. do pretty much – you can do the basic set of pretty much anything that you want to do. Uh, they have encounter builders online too sure. uh, where you can actually put in encounter information to see if it would be a deadly matchup for that particular group or not. Yeah. Uh, that I've used on occasion. Um, I like the one in the DMG, um, DMG being the Dungeon Master yeah, yep. Guide. Uh, that's that's my favorite one to use because I usually do the magic item or hoard uh, uh, treasure hoard if uh, information off of that. Yeah, treasure can be tricky. We were just talking about this at work with with Tony, uh, my boss, and also we play together. Um, it's like treasure can be really tough because they don't give you values or they don't. You know, sometimes it's just not like you want to reward someone with something, but do you want to give them something too powerful? Because you don't want to be three. I mean, I've been there. I'm down three levels later and I just, Oh, I should not give them that person, that person. Cause now I've just realized it's way too powerful for them. And that like, I don't ever get afraid of that because that yeah. mistake is going to happen. It, yeah. it, it always does in every campaign. I'm like, ah, should I do it? <laughs> I did it. And now I regret it. And right. you know, you just have to live with that and you have to balance your encounters based on the fact that they're too a little bit more powerful than they would normally be. But uh, in my perspective, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a game of heroes. It's a game yep. of magic. It's a game of big, powerful weapons and cool magic items. And I, I get magic items are very powerful and they can, ba you know, they can throw out the balance of a particular campaign. I like to try to adjust for it because, mm -hmm. um, you know, if I was a player, you know, you, nobody wants to be that that level eight fighter who's still still rocking a longsword because he can't because he can't yeah. find a magic weapon. Yeah. You know, it's well, and that's it, built it takes, that way. You know, they, I think D and D, like at least with the from what we've gotten is. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just on that moment is like at at certain point these characters are to the point where they're resistant to bludgeoning weapons unless they're magic. Yeah, yeah, it's very much built that way. So you you have to at some point, you know, go through. And if you if you leave it all to the roll of the dice, you're going to end up. Uh, your players are going to end up with a lot of mismatch equipment, or maybe right. something that they're going to have to kind of take away from the flavor of their character for. So uh, something as a DM, I like to do is I like to get little wish lists from my players about the type of items that they would like to get or like to see uh, inside. And it's, you know, it's just like when you were a kid and you're writing out that wish list and it doesn't mean you're going to get everything on right. it. It's just, these are the things I'd the like. Wish list. Yeah. I just just thinking that in my head, I'm like asking every one of your uh, players to give me a wish list. If they say, "Well, I really don't know enough to buy a wish list," you should have at least a list for each character of what to give to them. Because yeah. there's nothing like finding a magic item, and then there's two people at the table. <laughs> you know that you wanted it for that one person, and the other person's like, "Oh, I'll take that." Like, no, I totally. <laughs> How do I bring yeah, this up? <laughs> uh, I can't just give it to them. Yeah. Well, um, you guys can really passive, passive aggressively argue about this right now because I'm staying out of it. But yeah, wish lists are number one must have from your. Um, plus, it gets them excited, you know. Yeah, I mean, they get, get to look through like, all the magic yep. items and they get yep. to pick out the ones they want. It's like it's 
literally like Christmas they can or make holiday a magic time. Item if they want. Yeah, it's like the holiday time for kids. And just like kids, yeah. in my experience, they will select all of the most expensive items. <laughs> and in D&D, people will generally like, well, why does your wish list have five legendary items on it? Yeah. And we're starting a second level campaign. Yeah. So I have to redirect them, just like children, yeah. uh, to, to go select more appropriate ones. Well, That's we're, why I got the off-brand sneakers when I was a kid, you know. Yeah, hey, and you know what? Those <laughs> off-brand speakers are good yeah. at that level. So um, as an encounter builder, I want to just kind of touch on encounters really quick. Sure. So the sources are great. You got – there's multiple monster manuals. Online, uh, really quick, I like D&D Beyond has really good encounter. Um, uh, but donjon.com, D-O-N-J-O-N.com has encounters, monster lists. Um, Roll20 has – so if you want to kind of go the online route and if you don't don't have the money to materials to, to buy a book, um, those sites are really good, too, because they have a good idea. They don't have everything, but um, they have enough to where you can build a counter and at least read through the encounter builders and say, I have five, six level players and it'll tell you what the CRs. So CR is standing for challenge, um, rating. challenge rating for your monster. So basically it's taking how What's the challenge of is do you want two challenge rating of these against your players? Um, when I'm building a counter, I always take a couple things into effect. It's like I find that there's a not enough magic users that people fight against. I -hmm. fail to add enough magic users in my in my company. So what I think the greatest thing is because sometimes if if you're playing against a magic user, it can um, as a DM, magic users can ruin your day. (laughs) <laughs> it can ruin your mm-hmm. day. Hold person. I miss my roll. Great. I'm paralyzed. I totally had this great idea for this NPC to kill you or try to kill you. And so they can really ruin your days. And I do. I think Don gets the brunt of this too much where we're too crafty sometimes. I'm not saying bring it up, but bring it on. I mean, I have a backup character, Don. Um, but, <laughs> but magic users are a good way to balance out uh, without overpowering because they have a list of spells. So you can kind of pull back the reins like you talked about before. You can kind of pull back a little bit because you can, the spell caster is going to cast a first level spell. Instead of fireball, he'll cast this, you know, to, to kind of, so you can kind of really buff or not buff. And you're going to run into humans that are going to be magic users. If you're a magic user, there's other magic users around. They're not all fighters. Right, they're not all bandits. They're not all rogues or guards. I would say you do have to be a little careful with some of that stuff because a magic user with a fireball, in particular, has probably (laughs) caused the most amount of stress. Yes, uh, because a well-placed fireball uh, with a pretty decently high roll uh, can wipe. It can absolutely wipe a party uh, once you yeah. hit that level. Because what is it? Third level, so it's fifth level yep. spell. Or yep. it's fifth level characters. Yeah. Kind of in that. Yeah. So just uh, magic is very powerful, both for the player and for the DM. So you just have to be a little careful about that. Yeah. Um, I would say we got a little bit of time here, but uh, let's, let's just quickly kind of go through what uh what rules do you love and do you hate 
uh, for specifically Dungeons and Dragons because that's yeah uh, as as a DM. Mm. Uh, I love the rule of cool. <laughs> oh, I mean everybody I mean, does right. You, being that you gotta allow your if your player wants to jump on the back of the Minotaur and spin around and you know attack him from the back just for flair, allow it. Have him do an acrobatics check or a strength check, mm-hmm. but allow it because it's there's that's what their imagination. You don't want this boring slash and bash and then we're done with the adventure. Um, I like that. I like. Uh, I don't know. Being, this is love and hate. Don't tell yeah. me you like a rule. Okay, I <laughs> I I love multiple multiple movement in five e. Mean that I can move, attack, and then move again. Yep. Yep. I you don't like get that. that. Path Pathfinder doesn't have that as much. <laughs> I like having just like knowing that I can come up and hit you, and then back off. I love that. Yeah, as with certain feats and stuff. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, it can make you pretty powerful. What uh, What rules do you hate? Um, I hate rules that make my players too hard to hit. Um. I hate I'm not a- dodge as an action. <laughs> oh yes! Oh my <laughs> God! Stop it! Just I play against a monk. You're a monk. I, mean, I know. Dodge is so frustrating. You mean I have to roll a disadvantage every time I try to attack you? Yes, yes. And how many times you get this a day? I can do this every time if I want. It's a bonus right. action. Yeah, it's a what? bonus action. Seriously, come on. Um, I would say that I hate um dexterity saving throws and taking half damage. Really? You think they should take full damage? Or no damage? I think that there should be a different... I don't think you should. it should be half, but I think you should take some damage, but it should be halved. Meaning that, like, uh, if I jump out of the way of a fireball, you're not out of the fireball, but, like, if you're in the middle of a fireball... And you make your dexterity saving throw. You're in a 20 foot radius. How did you? Ooh, see so, previous so point. The, not a physics right, engine, <laughs> right? Like, but that—that's why I—I I hate it because that comes into too much of the physics. Like, how is it the person on the edge missed their dexterity saving throw, or you did? You you made yours and they missed theirs, and you took half damage. I think there's a, a to me, depending on, uh your dexterity bonuses and stuff, I think should be um, a little bit. Of, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I will change it now. The the rule that I hate is any kind of idea of passive anything, passive perception, passive intelligence, because how do you even use it? I don't know. How do you use it? I, I, I was just talking to Tony about this. I think it's not used by DMs enough. So why is it there? Because someone's got a 23 passive wisdom, you're saying they're not going to see that creepy old witch sitting on the steps gawking at them, but I have to roll passive, or do they automatically know that? And then if they know that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to tell that to them at the table, and then someone's going to meta it and say, oh, I'm going to go over to that character. No, you didn't see that character, but the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> I, to me, uh, I hate the rule of passive perception, passive wisdom, passive intelligence. Like that means that you're just automatically like that. So is that how I talk to you or how do you use it? 
I, I hate them not being so vague. Okay. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that, and it's def in my opinion, it's not used well enough, and it's difficult to use because you don't always have the character sheets right in front of you, right. and if you're shuffling through character sheets, if you're at a table, it makes it very obvious. <laughs> yeah, if you got six players, um, you know, the, it it can definitely be uh, very difficult. Uh, one one of the things I uh, I hate. Uh, I love and hate this rule. I, I love and hate the rule of cool and uh, for oh. a couple of reasons. So I love it because it's an integral part of D&D, and I love being able to reward my players for doing something outside of the norm. But I think it sets, in some cases, a bad precedence where I can't just attack something. I always have to try to do something crazy and over the top in order yeah, to try to true. gain – some type of advantage or, or, you know, to be rewarded for thinking crazy outside of the box. And it's, that's not going to happen every time. So I think it his can unintentionally like expand out combat, kind of inflate it because nobody can just, you know, or, you know, in this situation, they're rolling the die and say, yeah, I got a 17 to hit it. No, I wanted to jump off the wall and turn around and Superman punch and, um, so I think there's positive and negatives to it. Uh, I I love the half damage as a monk rogue. <laughs> Evasion. Ev- uh, half damage for dexterity saving throw. I love that. I'm going to put that in the love column. Um, the Another thing I dislike enforcing for D&D. Hate. Hate or lo- hate? I, I, I like. hate enforcing for D&D uh, is spell components. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, uh, spell components, uh, real tough for me because, you know, certain spells, it's, you know, like a, a raised dead spell. Yeah, you're going to have to have some stuff for that, and it's going to mm-hmm. cost you, right? I get that. You know, you're yeah. not going to pull a 500 gold piece diamond out of your pocket, you know, every yeah. time. Um, but some of the other small ones, like you have to have a necklace to be able to cast this that's worth you know 50 True. gold pieces i i i could do without those i would say the big spell effects maybe that are have like the large values associated with them that is consumed i could see my, you know needing to have that but i don't like enforcing something where i've got this person they've gone from you know the very weak spellcaster at level one you know and they've got it up to like level 12 and they have these big crazy magics that they can do and then being the the guy who's like okay well do you do you have that golden relic that reliquary or for a thousand to thousand gold pieces Ooh, sorry those diamonds do you have the diamonds you know (laughs) to me yeah i and and the great thing about being a dm is you don't have to enforce it and i don't (laughs) <laughs> Just going to say, that kind of leaves it off of that. I guess the hate of the enforcing, we go along the same line of, we talked about it last time too, is uh, luggage or carrying weight. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Who Points. enforces that? Yeah. Right. 
Right. Some people do, and some people enforce food. Yep. Like, and there's that you know daily daily allowance for money and exhaustion if you're like, walking a long period of time. Yeah, it all depends on your deal, and you can do that or you don't have to do that. Like for me, with most components, I don't follow it because I either a play the same. Like, well, you're going to have those components if you're going to cast the spell when you're going to go shopping. Just tell me, give me. I'm going to go shopping for all my components, or once in a while, just because I like to not spend too much time to that is. Uh, if you, if someone has a magic sword as a fighter, I'm going to allow you as a, you're going to get to use your arcane focus, a wand, a staff, that's your component. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I, again, and the benefit of being a DM is you don't have to follow those rules and you can have just as much of a good time and, um, just make sure that you're upfront with your players. I think in that session zero is about, especially if you have a mix of new and old, uh, or more experienced players, you want to have those conversations ahead of time because you don't want it to be, you know, 20 sessions deep and you're asking them about spell components. Yeah. That's because not fair. Yeah. That would have may have been changed or that may have changed that person's desire to be a spellcaster because maybe they don't want to deal with that. So. Yeah. Fa- fairness. And yeah. Bringing up your rules halfway through and enforcing them is that's, is that's you just tough. opened a big, bad can yep. of worms and it's, you're not going to get, you're going to lose respect. Um, I think of the players. I'm just looking from a player standpoint. But I, I think it's a the greatest thing you'll talk to anybody, guys, the, the good DMs in this world that that we think is the good ones that we see that are out there in the public. Um, I like the Matt really Mercers. Like, Matt Mercers. I, I'm a big Chris Perkins fan. Oh Shout yeah, Chris Perkins. I mean, I mean, he's the he wrote, he wrote the, book. the books. <laughs> Jeremy Crawford. Uh, I think you got to mention Crawford. him. There, there's yeah. a lot more out there that I'm missing, but yeah, uh, they'll always tell you, especially Chris Perkins, who writes the books. He wrote you, this 5E for you guys to understand, you people to understand that this is just a template. You can do your world is however you want to create it. Mm-hmm. And the players can live in that world. But whatever you, if you want to change a rule, a magic item, whatever you want that is in your world's imagination, just make sure that it's fair within every player and that you're enforcing those. Don't let one player get to do this and another player don't don't let player one get to the rule of cool and the other person doesn't get to the rule of cool yeah you know allow give them both allowances and my favorite always say when someone asks you if they can do something you can just end it with matt mercer said it all you can certainly try you can certainly try i say that all the time <laughs> You can do anything. You can <laughs> yeah. certainly try it. You can certainly try. Can I jump off the top of this house and land? You yep. can certainly try. You can certainly try. <laughs> just go so ahead and roll the dice. That That's a, you know, just if you guys really want to become uh, a good DM, there's lots of video out there of tips and stuff. And like yep. we're doing, we're show, we're just giving you some ideas from our experience. Um, but we, we hope you enjoy some of our ideas. And if you have any questions about DMing, it's not easy. Encourage you just to try it. If, if you ever thought about doing it, do a one shot. Like a one shot is usually just like a one night campaign. Um, uh, it's a small, short adventure and, and just have fun with it and see if you like it. If you like it, then great. Then it will, you'll, you'll sink your teeth into it. And a lot of times you'll never let go. And I like playing and I like the, I mean, I like the challenge of both, but if you're afraid of it, um, don't be afraid of it. Cause you can't do it. Cause you don't think you can do it. Um, you know, be afraid of it. If you 
are just not a person who's an outgoing, you know, doesn't want to talk a whole lot and doesn't like to be, you kind of got to be the center of attention. Right. <laughs> you, you have to be willing to be that person. Well, it was it was good chatting with you again yeah, about yeah. D&D, Thad. I, uh, I believe our next scheduled yeah, talk we're gonna will be, be more in character. Yeah, back on. I'm, I'm interested, after these two conversations, how the rest of our party views us. Uh, who knows? Who knows? You Maybe know. they're intimidated by our knowledge. I, I f- uh, but do you really think they're listening to Dungeons and Dagmars? Well, I know that Don, <laughs> I know Don is. Because if there's something in game that we're punished for, let it be known that I, I expect our listeners to keep Don honest with this. He's an honest DM. He's a great dungeon master. Don is I, I really look up to him. I get great ideas from him. He's he's really, really a great dungeon master and he inspires me to be better. I'm not even looking for an inspiration point. I was going to say, you you, uh, <laughs> y- you should have put that at the beginning. <laughs> who knows if he's made it this far? Yeah. He so. knows how I feel about him. But, um, yeah. And that goes without saying. If there's if you're not a DM and you don't plan on DMing and you're a player, you know, show some love to that DM in your world. Oh, yeah. They are – they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah. So – well, it was good talking to you again, Brokos. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah. We should be coming back with uh, more of the campaign yep. next week. We'll have, yeah. Thank you for letting me on your show, Dungeons and Dagmars. Dungeons and Dagmars. Uh, yeah, I. it's called that now. It's no longer a working title. That's nope. just what we're calling it. Yep. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we will see everyone later, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week when we have more, right. uh, more campaign. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.